Good morning, everyone. Let me just see if I had this in tune. <laughs> oh, yeah. That sounded funny. All right, that's much better. Nothing worse than playing an out-of-tune guitar. Okay. When I've lost all hope And then I know that I am loved When I think back to the cross It's then I know that I am loved I am loved Yes, I am loved In my darkest hours when I feel that I've been abandoned and abused and accused I think back to the cross and then I know that I am loved when I think back to the cross it's then I know that I am Willing to suffer for me Yes, I am loved Oh, I am loved I tell you one and all When you're feeling so very lonely You could cry, you could die And then you'll know that you are loved Just think, just think back to the cross Just think back to the cross And then you'll know that you are loved You are loved Yes, you are loved Yes, we are love. We are love. We are loved. Oh yeah. 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 If you could turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, while I hang up the guitar, I'll be right back with you.
All right, uh, I'm back again. Could you try, if you haven't turned there already, go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As you can see on the board, we're going to uh, begin a study of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 by noting the A part of this verse where Paul teaches us that Gentile Christians have been brought near to God and his covenant people Israel. And of course, uh, those people in the, in, in, among the Jews that have trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior, regenerate Jews. Now, uh, we're going to be, I'm just seeing how many hours uh, we're going to be doing on Ephesians 2, 13. Uh, yeah, two hours. So today, and uh, we'll finish it off. We'll finish off this verse on um, Saturday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, as our normal time is. So um, we're going to, uh, this will be our 107th hour in Ephesians. And uh, you might be saying, oh, how come you take and say what's wrong? How come you take more than one class to go through some of these verses? For the very simple reason is the content. There's a lot in there and a lot, a lot of explanation. So um, I'm, I, I like to um, do my job thoroughly. How's that? <laughs> That's really why. Uh, of course, some books like, you know, if you've ever done like Exodus with me or Genesis, uh, you, because they're narratives and, you know, you can, you can, you know, it's not like Paul's epistles or John's epistles where you get a proposition or command or whatever you get. And so, um, you can take a you can take a lesson. You can do a sermon on just one you know uh, one statement that that's found in a verse, and there could be several statements in a verse, especially with Paul, and especially in this letter. And so, like uh, if you go Genesis, you can take paragraph. You know, you can take bigger sections. In fact, when I did Exodus, I think the first twelve, uh, first eleven chapters, I did a chapter a day. I, you know, so you can do that. So, and uh, so, um, so that all depends on the type of literature we're studying. So, with these epistles, you you have to, you have to take a little bit longer, and um, you can't take a, you can't take, can't take bigger sections as you can in, in a narrative, historical narrative like Genesis or Exodus. So, anyway, so that's uh, it's what we're going to do here today. And uh, let's take a moment of silent prayer. This is our custom. We always take this moment of silent prayer to assure the fact that we're in fellowship with God. I never assume. Especially online, you know, I never assume, because when I have my teacher over here at DBC, I know many people already know what I'm going to say and know what to do, because they've been taught this and by myself and the man before me, uh, Pastor Peak. But when I'm online, uh, I, I don't assume anybody, know, everybody knows this. In fact, most a lot of people probably don't know this. They walk in for the first time. I, I don't know. So, uh, you know, you can't understand and make application of uh, this the Spirit-inspired scriptures when they're taught, if you're not in fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, simple as that, you might understand it intellectually, but you're not going to, uh, you're not going to be able to uh, uh, metabolize it and make application of it. Uh, so uh, that's why Paul talks about, a, you know, uh, someone who's a, a natural-minded man in First Corinthians two. That could be a believer out of fellowship, not just an unbeliever. I mean, that's true of the unbeliever, but uh, a fellow believer out of fellowship with God, it's true of them too. So you're not going to be able to understand the things of God. Might again might understand it intellectually, but that doesn't mean it's going to make it uh, do any have any benefit for you spiritually. It's because it's spiritual phenomena, and we must be have the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help us to understand and make application and lead us in the application. That's why we take a moment of silent prayer to ensure the fact that we're in fellowship with God, filled with the Spirit. So we take this moment of time, and the reason why you have to confess your sins, you know, there are people out there teaching the false doctrine. I've dealt with these people, and in fact, they came out of the ministry I came out of, and although that pastor taught confession of sin um the, you know some people will say oh well i got the forgiveness of my sins so why do i have to confess them uh, because the bible says you have to confess them and these people don't understand the positional and experiential aspect of their sanctification and the difference and that's why they get confused and they were never taught this they never heard of it before so they're in all kinds of false doctrine so now these teach they're teaching people not to confess their sins in the body of christ and they're going to be disciplined by god because of that and uh, so what, and the reason why I think that's a major problem is because it hurts the life of the church. And so uh, if I were those guys who were doing that and anybody else is doing that, um, you, uh, you're gonna, if you're a pastor, you're, you're teaching this false doctrine, you're in trouble. I'll tell you right now, you're in trouble. You're in deep, deep trouble. Uh, so, um, so much so that I wouldn't, if I, you, I wouldn't want to be in the same room with you. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Because uh, uh, you don't mess around with, with the, the, the body of Christ who Christ himself purchased with the, his blood at the cross so it's a serious business here so you better know what you're doing if you don't get out of the pulpit don't be you know people uh, put up with you know you wouldn't put up a doc with a doctor who doesn't know what they're doing why do we put up with pastors that don't know what they're doing and don't know what hermeneutics is <laughs> the science and art of interpretation they just pull it out of their hat wherever it goes and 
you know, they, 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 they don't know what they're talking about. They're not prepared and it shows up in their teaching and it, you know, shows, you know, the way they, you know, if they teach anything at all. And, uh, so this is very important. So uh, we take the moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God, because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God, the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. Now, we maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5, 18, to be filled with the Spirit, and Colossians 3, 16, to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. And if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing, or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you for another gift to uh, to enjoy and experience creation, to be on this earth, and uh, and more importantly, to have fellowship with you through the study of your word. And uh, we just thank you for the gift of the Spirit who makes it all possible, and also your Son and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection session at your right hand, which makes it possible as well. And we just thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit appropriating the, the work of your Son, uh, through those events in his life that destroyed the works of the devil and uh, delivered us from eternal condemnation, personal sin, and uh, enslavement to sin and Satan, his cosmic system, condemnation from the law, and uh, personal sin, and uh, placed us in union with your son, Jesus Christ, appropriated those events, the, uh, the deliverance, the great deliverance that we have uh, through those events in your son's life at the moment of our justification. And we just pray the Spirit would do a mighty work through all of us here today. I thank you for the technology, people taking advantage of it. I pray, Father, the technology would function properly. There would be no problems with the recordings, the video, and the audio, and upload these things to our various websites, podcasts, and media platforms that you've given to us. Thank you for them. Protect them from the enemy, and thank you for doing so. I thank you for those who might be joining me live or through the later date through the recordings on the website. And I pray, Father, today that your people would receive the necessary spiritual nourishment by the power of the Spirit, help them to learn, understand, and make a careful application of what they're being taught. I pray that as a result, they would uh, be able to praise you and worship you in a more intimate uh, way and to have a greater love and appreciation for what you've done for us through both your Son and the Spirit and our, at our justification and what you're going to do for us in the future uh, in, in a, re a resurrection body and rewards for faithful service. I pray that you would empower me by the Spirit to communicate your full counsel today with regards to this passage in Ephesians 2, 11-13, this magnificent passage that uh, is... Uh, is a great blessing to us Gentile believers in the body of Christ. I just thank you, Father, for also our Jewish brothers in the body of Christ and sisters. And I just pray, Father, that uh, the purpose for which you give me this gift would be fulfilled here today in this Bible class. So, Father, we pray for this service in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. If you haven't turned there already, please go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse uh, 1. We're going to read the entire chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. And then we're going to uh, read it in my translation as, be, as we've been doing. And before we look at verse 13, that's why that, that, when we're doing that, we're, we're going to interpret verse 13 in its proper context, its immediate context. And that's uh, so a lot of times I'm trying to help you while I'm teaching. I'm showing you ways to, and I try to bring these out. And you should be able to pick some of these up over the years with me. For those of you who have been with me a while, you should be able to understand how to interpret your Bible, basic principles. You don't have to be a Greek or Hebrew scholar. In fact, the modern translations are pretty magnificent, actually. You have a plethora of great modern translations today, and you're getting the Word of God in them. I always say get more than one type of translation approach. Uh, the ESV has more formal equivalents, and the uh, 
uh, NIV is more uh, dynamic equivalents, but they both use both approaches. Um, only the net, the only net Bible, the only net Bible I know is actually come out in their preface and say that they do. Of course, the e, the ESV, which is big proponents of formal equivalents, uh, more literal translation, they, they use it too. I can show you all over the place that they use a dynamic equivalence approach. You have to. Anybody who does translation knows that. And so, uh, so you're getting the word of God. So there's certain basic things that you can do. And, and interpreting your Bible better as a Christian, as a layperson, just even through the modern translations. And one of those principles of, of studying the Bible is you compare Scripture with Scripture. You study the, the verse you're in in its proper context. That means you're looking back in the immediate context of what you've been, uh, in the, prior to the verse you're studying, like in our passage 2.13, Ephesians 2.13, and what follows it. And uh, and also in the context of the entire book and also the entire context of the entire New Testament and in the context of the entire uh, Bible itself. And it's like, well, I think uh, Grant Osborne, uh, great expositor, and he did a book on that, Hermeneutical Spiral, so uh, which talks about that. So this is very important that we pay attention to that. We also study the liter understand the literary context uh, of the book that we're in, and this is an epistle. That's the literary genre. We studied this in our introduction. And also... Um, you know, we compare scripture with scripture, as we said before, and we like to go back to the original languages. So that's my job, and that's my gift. I'm supposed to utilize that gift. And so uh, we're today we're going to be looking at the A part. We're going to look at this verse, Ephesians two thirteen, in two installments today and on Saturday. But today we'll be looking at the A part, the first declarative statement there, which teaches us that Gentile Christians have been brought near to God in His covenant people Israel. But actually, it's finishing off the thought from verses eleven and twelve. This verse. And uh, so uh, that's what we're going to be looking at here today. And uh, so uh, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read for the Good News Bible today. I like to read from all the modern translations. And uh, I don't know too many guys that do this. Um, well, you know, the reason why they don't do this, and I, and I do this at DBC. The DBC, the Darkwood Bible Church, where I'm the pastor of down the road here, a half mile down the road. And I taught there last night. I teach there on Sundays at uh, 930 a.m., two sessions uh, separated by a break, and that's at 9.30 a.m., uh, Doctrinal Bible Church at 1215 Russell Street Northeast, Huntsville, Alabama, so come on down if you're in the area. On Wednesdays, we teach at 6.30 p.m. And so uh, we have the NIV, which is a great translation to, it's great, I think it's the, the most readable, not the others are not, but it's the most readable. Um, and uh, I think, and uh, over the, just my experience with it, but, um, so, I, but here online, you know, because I don't have, I have a, a internet audience which changes and fluctuates and has probably access to a, a number of translations, but I put it on the board here. I show the, you know, even at DBC, I do this as too. I show the passage on the board from my Logos program. And uh, so I do that here. So I can, I can get away with that. You know, some churches, they, they can't do that because that's the, everybody, we said, we're, we're reading from the NIV or whatever it is, the ESV. And this is what we're going to be reading from. So I understand that you can't, you know, not everybody has access to multiple translations unless you're going to do it. You know, you want you want to have the a translation for the, the the whole congregation will be reading with you. So, but with the Logos program, you can do that. You know, you can do what I'm doing now and, and read from other modern translations, and that's what I like to do. I like to go to different ones, and uh, just because I think they each one brings out something the other doesn't. Like in in Ephesians, we're seeing this with the uh, was the revive revised English translation English Bible. And this Bible and the Living Translation, uh, the Good News Bible is the Living Translation, they bring out the idea of union with Christ and identification with Christ in their translations, if you notice, in the prepositional phrase, in Christo, Yesu, stuff like that, in Christ Jesus. So that's what I like. That's, that's pretty cool. And that's what I bring out my translation. I'm more interpretive because I can get away with it because I'm your interpreter. So mine's going to be a little bit more wordier. But, uh, you know, it reflects my interpretation, and so I really don't mind if it's wordier. I'm not, I'm not really translating for a, a wide audience like the, the major translations are doing, the modern translations are doing, which they should do. So, that out of the way, let's get the introduction. Look at Ephesians 2.1, and I'm reading again from the Good News Bible. It says, in the past, you were spiritually dead because of your disobedience and sins. See, I like that they translate it like I do in a causal sense there with that... Uh, uh, phrase because of your disobedience and sins. That's uh, that's how I translate it. So in the past, you were spiritually dead because of your disobedience and sins. At that time, you followed the world's evil way. You obeyed the ruler of the spiritual powers in space. Uh, that's interesting. And the spirit who now controls the people who disobey God. 
Actually, all of us were like them and lived according to our natural desires, doing whatever suited the wishes of our own bodies and minds. In our natural condition, we, like everyone else, were destined to suffer God's anger. But God's mercy is so abundant and his love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, he brought us to life with Christ. It is by God's grace that you've been saved. In our union with Christ Jesus, he raised us up with him to rule with him in the heavenly world. And then he says in verse 7, he did this to demonstrate for all time to come the extraordinary greatness of his grace and the love he showed us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace, by God's grace, that you have been saved through faith. It is not the result of your own efforts, but God's gift, so that no one can boast about it. God has made us what we are. And in our union with Christ Jesus, he has created us for a life of good deeds, which he has already prepared for us to do. You Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by the Jews, who call themselves the, un, uh, the circumcised, which refers to what men do to their bodies. Remember what you were in the past. At that time, you were apart from Christ. You were foreigners and did not belong to God's chosen people. You had no part in the covenants, which were based upon God's promises to his people. And you lived in this world without hope and without God. But now, in union with Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought us peace by making Jews and Gentiles one people. With his own body, he broke down the wall that separated them and kept them enemies. He abolished the Jewish laws. See, they're more interpretive and they're correct translated the way they are. It's because he's talking in context about the Mosaic law. They just said it, made it explicit for you, the referent. He abolished the Jewish law with its commandments and rules in order to create, create other two races, one new people in union with himself in this way, making peace. Great translation. By his death on the cross, Christ destroyed their enmity. By means of the cross, he united both races into one body and brought them back to God. And I like the way they... They, they put the word races in there. That's very good. So Christ came and preached the good news to, of, of peace to all, to you Gentiles who are far away from God and to the Jews who are near to him. It is through Christ that all of us, Jews and Gentiles, are able to come in the one spirit into the presence of the Father. So that you Gentiles are not foreigners or strangers any longer. You are now fellow citizens with God's people and members of the family of God. You too are built upon the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets the cornerstone being Christ Jesus himself. He is the one who holds the whole building together and makes it grow into a sacred temple dedicated to the Lord. In union with him, you too are being built together with all the others into a place where God lives through his spirit. Now, a couple of things before I read my translation of the chapter. We see that this book is in both passages, uh, if, if you, two perquisites, verse 10 verses and the verses 11 through 22 of the chapter are accentuating the grace of God. Uh, in both passages, we see that Paul is discussing uh, the the Gentile Christians who are the recipients of this, uh, this letter, uh, he's describing their pre-conversion or pre-justification state in order to accentuate the grace and love of God. The grace and love of God. In fact, the, the grace of God, which is... is his policy of uh, bestowing unmerited blessings upon sinners who are declared justified through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and in union with him, uh, we see that based upon the merits of the object of our faith, Jesus, and our union identification with him, the merits of that, uh, we are received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, we received unmerited blessings. We didn't earn it or deserve it. And so uh, that grace policy of God's flows from the function of the attribute of his love. Okay? Now, uh, we see that uh, we see the Gentile Christians are no longer they're not foreign, uh, that not second-rate citizens in God's among God's people. So this is very important. This is, this is a tremendous thing that Paul's saying here, and uh, about Gentile Christians because uh, prior to the Church Age, uh, a, a Jewish a Gentile believer, he was not on the same footing uh, and didn't have the same privileges as Jewish believers did. And uh, Paul talks about these privileges that the Jews had in, in, in Romans chapter 3, we touched upon that, and uh, Romans 9, verses 1 to 5, in particular verses 4 and 5, that section of Romans. And he talks about that. And uh, But he also, in Romans 11, a book we studied in great detail over 500 hours, over 10 years ago now, uh, that uh, that uh, the, the, the Jewish believers in the church age are united 
uh, with the gen, uh, the Gentile believers are in the church age are united with Jewish believers. The Jewish believers in Romans 11 are the olive tree. Uh, the branches on the olive tree are regenerate Jews. The branches off the olive tree are uh, unregenerate Jews. So the olive tree is Israel. The wild olive tree is the Gentiles. And it says that the wild olive tree, Gentile believers were engrafted into the, the, the olive tree which was against nature. They didn't do that. That's, and that's emphasizing, accentuating the, 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 um, the uh, God doing the impossible, uh, really. And uh, doing, it, 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 shows, it, it accentuates his omnipotence, his power. And, uh, and so this is quite interesting. So now Gentile believers and the church age believers, uh, Gentile believers and Jewish believers are on equal footing. In fact, because we're united to, in the way God united us Gentiles with Jewish believers, is at our justification. Just like the Jewish believers are saved based upon the merits of the object of their faith, Jesus Christ, and declared justified by the Father and placed in union with Him through the baptism of the Spirit at justification and identify with Jesus in His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session of the right hand of the Father and made members of the new humanity, so Jewish believers received that as well. And remember the, uh, the, the, the four unconditional covenants to, uh, to Israel, uh, the Abrahamic, the land covenant, or the Palestinian covenant, and the Davidic covenant, a new covenant, uh, we now benefit from those. Us Gentile believers, even those covenant, even though those covenants were given to to Jewish, the Jews, they were given those things. Not Gentiles. No other nation received those kind of uh, promises. And uh, so uh, we, like the new covenant, uh, we, like the Jewish believers in the church, we received uh, two things that are stipulated in the new covenant: the gift of the Spirit and forgiveness of sins. That new covenant is found in Ezekiel 36 and also the big one is Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. So the Gentile believers, like the Jewish believers, got the gift of the Spirit. And Peter noted that in Acts chapter 10 and Acts 15, we see that as well in the first church council. And so just like the Jewish believers received the gift of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit at the moment of their justification on the day of Pentecost in June of 33 AD, as recorded in the book of Acts, Acts 2, so the Gentiles did as well with Cornelius and his family in Acts chapter 10. And this was absolutely incredible what took place because it, it, so now, two races that never had anything to do with each other because of the law, as we're seeing in this passage. And the reason, and we'll see this develop further as we go through Ephesians 2, 11 through uh, 22, we see that uh, the Jewish and Gentiles didn't sit down to eat with each other because the dietary regulations of the law prohibited the Jews from uh, eating the foods of their Gentile neighbors. And the reason why God did that in the law was because he didn't want them to get involved in the worship of these foreign gods, the pagans, the, the Canaanite gods, and uh, because eating meals and having certain foods were associated with the worship of these gods. So God, that's why he had these dietary regulations. Jesus uh, put, uh, said they're done. Mark chapter 7 says that. Paul alludes to that in Romans 14, which is dealing with Gentile believers and Jewish believers who we call who believe what Jesus taught and uh, had that conviction that you could eat all foods now, uh, they're called the strong. The weak in faith are, called, are those who were not uh, uh, have the conviction that they could eat all foods. And Peter had this problem uh, uh, until God gave him the vision in Acts chapter ten three times that he could eat all foods. And remember that vision. So that so that was a very difficult thing because it was a culture shock. The Jewish and the Gentiles had no association with each other. Now they did. And this is the great thing. If only the church would believe this. Only if they did. We, you know, we could have avoided a civil war in this country and all the bloodshed that we had if the pastors in this country at that time understood this. <laughs> we, we'd have no problems with race in the church. And we, shouldn't have, we, we have the solution to the racial problem in our country and around the world. Okay, and by the way, I don't think the by no means, because I, I grew up in the '60s, and okay, and I saw you know racial things going on firsthand myself, because I grew up next to a, uh, to a black family, and where I was living in Franklin at the time, very young kid, my first friends were black, African American, okay, and uh, they were uh, they were uh, uh, there was a guy, a racist cop on the other side of us. And, you know, he didn't like me, you know, hanging out with those guys. And, uh, but, you know, I, 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 did, I was a little kid. I didn't know him. I had to ask my dad. My dad explained to me what's going on. So, 
so I know the racism today, and I had I had a cousin who was uh, you know the whole busing thing in the seventies. My some of my cousins were deeply affected by that. In fact, one of my uh, cousins got beat up by some black guys. He was and then <laughs> then he took up uh, karate and he's black belt, and so nobody ever messed with him ever again, really. But and so I've seen it in both sides, you know. And uh, so going, uh, you know, the, the black people having uh, uh, having problems with white people, and uh, you know, and then same with the obvious the whites with the blacks. So I grew up in that era, okay. And I'll tell you right now, that's not even close to what it used to be. I'm not saying there's no race problems, but it's not even close to being what it used to be. And that, that's evidenced by the fact that uh, we have a, a, an African American president who's voted two terms, and he could never got elected if it wasn't for white guys, get <laughs> white people like me. Okay, so so that tells me something. The country has changed significantly. All those racists, or you know, uh, the Ku Klux Klan guys, and all those guys—they're all died off. You know, I'm not saying again that there's no racism, but I'm telling you right now, it isn't what it what used to be, and I know that firsthand. And you couldn't have a black president if it was if it was such a tremendous problem. Now, there's a lot of people who make a lot of money off this whole thing and keeping it going. So, and we know some of you might know that, but. Now, the reason why I mention all this, okay, is that the gospel shatters all racial problems. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, uh, male or female. It takes care of all that, you know, Galatians 3, 26 through 28. So, uh, so therefore, so if you're a Gentile believer and you're a white or African-American Gentile believer, okay, guess what? There goes the racial problem between the two of us because now the black Christian and the white Christian here in America, uh, we're on equal footing. We're brothers in Christ. Or sisters, okay? Isn't that, isn't that cool? The gospel changes it all. Because what the gospel did, human beings can't do, never have been able to do, cure this racial problem, which is the product of all of us being sinners by nature and practice, and there's a devil, okay, in the world system. And so we see that uh, the, at the moment of a justification, whether you're black or white, whatever race you are, whatever language group, wherever you came from, whatever your background, it doesn't matter. The minute you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, the Father declares you justified. And, and also he places you in union with Christ as part of the new humanity. Okay? The new man. The new humanity. This is fantastic because uh, we see that the new humanity, it's going to be restoring Mankind back to its original position, which was the rule over the works of God's hands. Remember Genesis 1, 26 and 27? Adam and Eve were supposed to rule over the works of God's hands, but the fall came and Satan usurped the authority of Adam and Eve over the earth. How do we know that? Well, he's the God of this world, Paul says. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, you know it by inference. He, and the whole world is under his power. 1 John 5, 19. All the kingdoms of the world are his. He even offered them to Christ at his when he was trying to tempt them. And Jesus emphatically rejected them, uh, this, this temptation. And so that wouldn't be a legitimate temptation if he doesn't have that authority over the earth. And he does, and he deceives the entire world. Revelation 12 talks about this. So now, the first step in restoring humanity to be the rulers of this earth again is when Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session at the right hand of the Father. And everyone, at starting in, uh, in, in the beginning, from the church age began, and all the way to the rapture, which ends the church age, we see that anybody, whoever, whoever it is, Gentile or Jew, who trusts in Jesus Christ is placed in union with Christ and identified with him and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session, the right hand of the Father. That took place at your justification, your conversion, and now you are becoming, a, you are now a member of the new humanity that's going to rule over the works of God's hands. In fact, Paul said to the Corinthians, and they were not exactly at spiritual maturity in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? That means the fallen angels, Satan, are going to be dispossessed by the church and Jesus at the second advent of Christ, which ends the tribulation period and the times of the Gentiles and ushers in the millennial kingdom. So this is what this country needs. This is what America needs, and this is all the nations of the earth need. Okay, And so since I'm in America, my, my fellow countrymen, this is what you need. This is, what the, this is because, here's why. Again, all the problems that we have in our country, whether it's economic, social, uh, problems with the races, problems with the, uh, the sexes, uh, whether it's environmental too. Whatever it is, whatever the problem is in our country, all the various problems we have in our country, they, could all, they all stem from three sources. The devil, his cosmic system, and we're all sinners by nature and practice in the human race. There's the source of all the problems. This is why we have all these problems in different areas of our country and around the world. There it is. Okay, the solution to that is the gospel because the gospel 
tells the world, here's the solution to this problem that you're enslaved to sin and Satan, this cosmic system. Here's the solution. Jesus and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session, the right hand of the Father. And all the implications of that. And I just brought out some to you in the last five, ten minutes. So let's read my translation of chapter two now. It says, now correspondingly, even though each and every one of you is a corporate unit with spiritually dead ones because of your transgressions, in other words, because of your sins, each and every one of you formerly lived by means of these in agreement with the standard of the unregenerate people of this age, which is the production of the cosmic world system, in agreement with the standard of the sovereign ruler, namely the sovereign governmental authority ruling over the evil spirits residing in the Earth's atmosphere, specifically the spirit who is presently working in the lives of those members of the human race who are characterized by disobedience. Then he says in verse 3, among whom each and every one of us also, formally for our own selfish benefit, conducted our lives by means of those lusts which are produced by our flesh, specifically by indulging those inclinations which are produced by our flesh. In other words, those impulses which are the product of our flesh, the sin nature. Consequently, each and every one of us caused ourselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of our natural condition from physical birth, just as the rest correspondingly caused themselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of their natural condition from physical birth. And then he says in verse 4, but because God is rich with regards to mercy, because of the exercise of his great love with which he loved each and every one of us, even though each and every one of us is a corporate unit with spiritually dead ones because of our transgressions, he caused each and every one of us to be made alive together with the one and only Christ. Each and every one of you is a corporate unit saved because of grace. Specifically, he caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be raised with him. Correspondingly, he caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be seated in the heavenlies because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. Then he says in verse 7, he did this so that he could display for his own glory during the ages, which are certain to come, the incomparable wealth which is the product of his grace because of kindness for the benefit of each and every one of us because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. Each and every one of you as a corporate unit are saved because of grace by means of faith. In other words, this salvation never originated from any one of you as a source. It originated as a gift from God. It does not originate from meritorious actions as a source so that a person cannot for their own benefit enter into the state of boasting. For each and every one of us in the Christian community are his workmanship, creative workmanship. For each and every one of us has been created by means of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus in order to produce actions which are divine good. These God prepared in advance so that each of us would conduct our lives by means of them. Therefore, and the ver therefore is an inference from the previous 10 verses. Therefore, each and every one of you, he says, as a corporate unit must continue to make it your habit of remembering that formerly each of you who belong to the Gentile race with respect to the human body, specifically those who receive the designation uncircumcision by those who receive the designation circumcision with respect to the human body performed by human hands. Each one of you used to be characterized as without a relationship with Christ. Each of you used to be alienated from the nation of Israel's citizenship. Specifically, each of you used to be strangers to the most important promise, which is the product of the covenants. Each one of you used to not possess a confident expectation of blessing. Consequently, each one of you used to be without a relationship with God in the sphere of the cosmic world system. However, because of your faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus, each and every one of you as a corporate unit who formerly were far away have now been brought near by means of the blood belonging to this same Christ. For he himself personifies our peace. Namely, by causing both groups to be one. Specifically, by destroying the wall which served as the barrier, that is, that which caused hostility between the two races and the two races with God. Then he says in verse 15, he says, in other words, by nullifying by means of his human nature the law, composed of the commandments consisting of a written code of laws, in order that he might cause the two to be created into one new humanity, by means of faith in himself at justification, and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Thus, he caused peace to be established between the two races and the two races with God. Then he says in verse 16, he says, uh, in verse 16, he says, in other words, explaining what he just said in verse 15, he says, in other words, in order that he would reconcile both groups into one body to God 
through his cross. Consequently, he put to death the hostility between the two races and the two races with God by means of faith in himself and justification and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Correspondingly, verse 17, he as a result came proclaiming peace for the benefit of each and every one of you, namely those who are far off, likewise peace to those who are near. Consequently, through the personal intermediate agency of himself, each one of us as a corporate unit, namely both groups, are experiencing, experiencing access by means of the omnipotence of the one spirit to the presence of the Father. Indeed, therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit are no longer foreigners to the covenant of, covenants of promise, that is, foreign citizens, but rather each and every one of you as a corporate unit are fellow citizens with the saints, that is, members of God's household, because each and every one of you as a corporate unit have been built upon the foundation, which is the communication of the gospel to each one of you by the apostles as well as prophets simultaneously. He himself, namely Christ Jesus, is the cornerstone. On the basis of its being continually fitted inextricably together by means of justification by faith and union identification with him, the whole building is growing into a holy temple by appropriating by faith union and identification with the Lord. In other words, by appropriating by faith your union and identification with him, all of you without exception are being built together into God's dwelling place by means of the omnipotence of the Spirit. Now, a couple of things about that translation of mine. You'll notice uh, union uh, justification, faith in him, and union identification with him, or faith in him, uh, Christ, that justification and union identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit of justification. That is more, it's, that's a very interpretive translation of the prepositional phrases you see there, in Christo, Yesu. I look at the preposition, and is causal, and I believe that what Paul's saying here, and a lot of, it's just shorthand is what he's using, is that with that prepositional phrase, in him, in Christ, Jesus, in Christ, in himself, that uh, contains the figure of metonymy, because, uh, meaning that, that uh, Christ is put for faith in him, at, at him, in him at justification, and union identification with him, through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Uh, that's supported by the by the context <laughs> on Paul's teaching. If you really think the reason why we have all the, the these uh, this uh, unity between Jew and Gentile, for instance, uh, in the in the body of Christ, and there's no distinction between the two. They both there's no second class citizens like the Gentiles. They're not second class citizens. They are on equal footing with the Jewish believers. It's because it's because of faith in Christ, the justification, and their union identification with Him. Both groups were justified through faith in Christ, and were in placed in union with Christ and identified with Him. So that's supporting my interpretation. And a lot of people see, you know, you saw it in the Good News Bible, they, they see union with Christ in there. And you could say identification with him as well because that's connected to that whole concept, the baptism of the Spirit. So uh, I'm not the only one that, that thinks that. If you read the, the commentaries in Ephesians, they all they know it's, it's there. You know, some, it's, but I try to bring it out more explicitly in my translations. Okay? So Ephesians 2.13 uh, as you can see on the board in my notes, Ephesians 2.13 contains the statement in Greek, in the Greek text, Nuni, and Christo Yesu, humais hoi pota antes makran eganethata egus ento haimati to Christo. That's translated by myself because of your faith in and union identification with Christ Jesus. Each and every one of you is a corporate unit who are formerly far away have now been brought near by means of the blood belonging to this same Christ. So, therefore, in Ephesians 2.13, we can say, Paul is asserting in this verse that these Gentile Christians, who formerly were far away from God and his covenant people Israel, have now been brought near to them, both God and the Jewish race, by means of the blood of Christ, because of their faith in him at justification and their union and identification with him. So this statement is actually an adversative clause because it presents a contrast with Paul's statements in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And I, I believe in verse 13. How did I translate the verse? Th yeah, see, however. So that however is telling me what I'm doing there. And that's the, the, uh, that's the conjunction. Uh, what is that? Uh, duh, of course. And uh, so, duh. <laughs> of course it's duh. And so that, in other words, this verse, verse 13, this statement here is a, presenting a contrast with the previous two verses. And so I'll tell you what that contrast is all about. Now in verses 11 and 12, as we just saw and studied in great detail, Paul identifies the recipients of this epistle as Gentiles who are called uncircumcision by the circumcision, namely the Jews. He also issued, as we pointed out, a command that required that these Gentile Christians must continue to make it their habit 
of remembering that they were at one time without a relationship with Christ, alienated from the nation of Israel's citizenship, strangers to the most important promise of the Messiah, which is the product of those four unconditional covenants I mentioned earlier. They were also, as we pointed out in detail, to continue to make it their habit of remembering that they did not possess a confident expectation of blessing, rewards for faithful service, resurrection body, and they were thus without a relationship with God in the sphere of the cosmic world system ruled by the devil. So therefore, if you compare the statement in verse 13 with the verses, verses 11 and 12, the contents of those verses, the contrast between these verses is these Gentile Christians not possessing a relationship with God or his covenant people Israel and that of possessing a relationship with him and his covenant people. Thus the contrast is between their unregenerate and regenerate state. So you got to do this as a Christian. You got to do when you when you when you're going through different stuff and you're you're de- you're getting into depression and you're feeling sorry for yourself and tough things are tough and then it's a reality. Things are tough in your life. You might have health problems, relationship problems, money problems, whatever is going on. Okay, always look back to what God did for you at your justification, because you had it really bad. <laughs> you don't have it so bad. Uh, you're just being tested. Uh, maybe discipline, maybe tested for undeserved suffering for blessing. God's trying to reward you, develop more of the character of son in your life. If he suffered, you're going to suffer. Uh, you're not above your Lord and Savior who suffered, and you'll suffer by uh, as well. And so uh, it's all for suffering for blessing, undeserved suffering for blessing. So we had a much bigger problem than our justific- solved at our justification. We were, we were under the wrath of God. This is, the, this is what the gospel is so great. It's the good news that despite the fact that we were, we were under the wrath of God in danger of eternal condemnation, enslaved to the devil and his cosmic system and the sin nature, and, uh, and, and in our deadness, sins and transgressions, and uh, condemned by the law, uh, you know, and uh, in, 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 you know, we were liable to, fi- we, you know, we're now we're gonna have to su- we suffer spiritual death and physical death eventually. All these things we were delivered from at the moment of our justification. And the good news is, despite the fact that you're under the wrath of God, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall never perish but have eternal life. For the Father did not send the Son to the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. So that's great news. So your greatest problem, my greatest problem, we're all resolved with were those problems they just said that we were faced with prior to our justification as unregenerate people. So you got to talk yourself out of problems. And, uh, you know, some of the, the greatest, uh, I feel, greatest things as a Christian moments for me personally is when the situation was really difficult. I remember when I was in Massachusetts and I'm living with my father and the back room of the house, my old bedroom, and which my mother wanted me to move back in when she came, when she was diagnosed with dementia. She wanted me to move back in with them. And I was like, well, we'll see what happens. And so sure enough, uh, it happened. You know, I left Iowa. The opportunity came about. So I moved in with them and, and it was hard. Uh, my dad's not the easiest guy to live with. And, uh, you know, I'm almost 60 years old. I'm living with him and I'm trying to deal with a, a demented woman who's getting worse by the day. And so that was real difficult. And I just remember being so... And then the ministry, I just lost my... Uh, 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 you know, uh, my friend uh, Tyler and uh, to suicide. And and then, you know, I, did, I didn't have Titus and Jody who were with me for years in Iowa. And great, I leaned on them for a lot of things. They did a huge thing with my, my ministry. And now they weren't at my life anymore. They were in Iowa and I'm in Massachusetts. And I'm saying, how am I going to keep this going? And it was so bad. I mean, I remember just, you know, so I, I, I would, you know, when I get a free moment, I would, you know, drive around and, and I would, I, I basically just talk myself through the, the, the what I was going through. And with Bible doctrine. So in other words, I, I, the advice I was giving myself is what I would give to somebody who's a Christian that was going through what I was going through or going through something somewhere, okay? So you gotta, that's what biblical meditation is all about, you know? So what I'm saying to you is look, always look back, you know, where you were prior to you get saved. You and, you and I were in terrible shape. We we're in awful shape, people. You know, we were, in, we were gonna go to the lake of fire, <laughs> So don't you think your problems are, really, everything else is gravy now, right? Our, our biggest problems have been resolved. And now, anything we go through is actually for our benefits, to give us rewards, more of the character of Christ, and discipline of us discipline us when we need to be disciplined, to keep us from sinful patterns of behavior. I mean, everything's on, is he, isn't he going to freely give us all things? Now that, you know, did he, when he saved us, when we were, when he sent his son to the cross for us, when we were his enemies, Romans 5, 6 to 8, is he going to freely give us all things? Romans 8, 32, yes. You know, you're going to reign with Christ. You're going to, you're going to be absent from the body, face to face with the Lord when you die. If, if you're the, within the rapture, gener, rapture generation, we're going to get a resurrection body. We'll never face death. 
Uh, it says, I mean, and then we're going to reward for faithful service on top of the resurrection body if we're faithful in this life. Okay, so, and then you're going to have the new, the millennial reign. We're going to be in the millennial reign. We're, we're going to be part of the new people. We're going to reign over this earth with Christ, with the bride of Christ. Old Testament saints don't have that. They were all saved. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Dean, and all those great believers of the Old Testament, John the Baptist, heading them all up. But we're in a better position than all those people because we're in union with Christ. They're not said to be. We're, we're part of the bride of Christ. We're a mystery, not known to Old Testament prophets. So, wow. You know, so don't get too down. And that's what I tell myself all the time when things get tough. And uh, so, uh, you know, in fact, I would be a little nervous if things weren't, there wasn't something going on in my life. Uh, you know, th there's always something going on that I'm dealing with. So that's a good sign. You know, that's like, you know um, it keeps me on my toes, keeps me alert. And, uh, you know, when things are going great, you know, it's very tempting to go and forget about God, which I wouldn't mind having that test. <laughs> Once in a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. So anyways, uh, so the contrast here between verses 13 and verses 11 and 12 is the, the unregenerate and regenerate states of the recipients of this letter who are Gentile Christians. Now, in this verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, the nominative second person plural form of the personal pronoun su, which I translate each and every one of you as a corporate unit. It's not only talking about them as a corporate unit, but it's used in a distributive sense, meaning there's no exceptions. This is true of all of them. That's why I translate it the way I do. So the use of this personal pronoun is very interesting here. We see this, we bring this out in Ephesians. He does this quite a bit, several times in Ephesians, and I try to tell you why he does this. Uh, it's unnecessary in the Greek because uh, the form of the finite verb in this language indicates the person, number, and gender of the subject. So, for instance, if you look at the Nestle Alain text with me, um, so you see this word, eganetheta, okay? That's the word genomai, okay? So the, the second person plural, and this is indicated by the suffix here, theta, okay? That's the second person plural. And uh, that's telling the, sec the second person plural form. And uh, the and also you have the, uh, the aris passive, you know, the theta there is t indicating that. And it's in the indicative mood, so and it's in, it's in, the, uh, in the aris tense, okay? And you have, uh, so here it is, okay? So with the augment, the epsilon augment of ginomai. So, so what I'm telling you is that it's all in the verb. You know, you don't need, so in English, in other words, I'm saying, when I run to the store. In Greek, you have the I is in the, in the word, in the verb run, okay? <laughs> so so, that's, that's, so that's, it's, called, it's an inflectional language. That's why they do that. Hebrews is the same thing. So again, this, the use of the personal pronoun here by Paul in Ephesians 2.13 is unnecessary in Greek because the form of the finite verb in this language indicates the person, number, and gender of the subject. And this is what makes Greek an inflectional language, as I just mentioned to you. When the personal pronoun is used, therefore, it may serve to clarify the subject or contrast the subject with something else or for simply for emphasis. So here, it's for emphasis as well as contrast. First, uh, the presence of this word, su, is contrasting the regenerate state of these Gentile Christians described in verses, verse 13 and their unregenerate state described in the contents of verses 11 and 12. Secondly, the presence of this pronoun emphasizes the present regenerate state of these Gentile Christians. And the word formally, uh, pota, it's a temporal particle, it's a indefinite temporal particle, there's a little typo there, I doubled it up there, sorry. And this particular word formally, pota, it speaks of a period of time prior to these Christians being declared justified by the Father through faith in His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Thus, it's referring to their pre-conversion or pre-justification portion of their lives as human beings on planet Earth, or in other words, it refers to their unregenerate portion of their lives. Now, the articulate, nominative, masculine, plural, present, active, participle, conjugation of the verb ame, it, where it means belong to a, it means to belong to a particular class of people, and this class of people is identified by the expression makran eganetheta engus enta haimati to Christo, which is translated have been brought near by means of the blood belonging to the same Christ by myself. So this word ami, which means again to belong to a particular class of people, it's identifying the subject or making explicit the identity of the subject. So the adverb of separation, makran, far away, that's used in a figurative sense of the relationship that did not exist between these Gentile Christians and, uh, and God and his covenant people Israel, in particular regenerate Israel. The word now, nuni, 
It refers to the regenerate state of these Gentile Christians in the Roman province of Asia, who are the recipients of this letter. And the word near, angus, the adverb angus, is also used in a figurative sense of the close, uh, intimate relationship that now existed between these Gentile Christians and God and His covenant people Israel. Now, the second person plural, aris passive indicative conjugation of the verb ginomai, which I mentioned to you a few moments ago, pertains to experiencing a change of condition or relationship, and thus indicating entry into a new condition or relationship. This indicates, people, that Gentile Christians, if you're a Gentile, this is true of you, this indicates that we entered into a relationship with God and His covenant people because of our faith in Christ and justification, as well as our union identification with Him. So we got a total change of condition and our justification. So those problems are all, those problems are all gone that we used to have. Okay? And the aorist tense of this verb genomai, it's a consummative aorist. And that emphasizes the cessation of the act of these Gentile Christians being entered into a relationship with God and His covenant people, and in particular regenerate Jews, because of being justified through faith in Christ and their union and identification with Him. So therefore, it emphasizes the cessation of the act of these Gentile Christians being entered into a relationship with God and His covenant people Israel, in particular regenerate Jews, the moment they were declared justified by the Father through faith in His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. The passive voice of this verb, genomai, indicates that these Gentile Christians received the action of being brought near to God and His covenant people Israel because of their faith in Christ, the justification, and again, their union and identification with Him. In other words, the passive voice of this verb indicates that these Gentile Christians received the action of being entered into a close, inti intimate, relationship with God and His covenant people Israel because of their faith in Christ the justification and union identification with Him. So, uh, therefore, the agency is the Gentile believer's faith in Christ the justification and the union identification with Him a justification which was again accomplished through the baptism of the Spirit. So, this is what, this is what we call, and we see a lot of these in Ephesians, it's a divine passive. Uh, the divine passive, passive means that the subject is being acted upon, in our context, Gentile Christians, being acted upon by God in some way. So thus, the divine passive is what we have here, which emphasizes that God the Father, working through both His Son and the Spirit, were responsible for the Gentile Christians' present status of being brought near to God and His covenant people, Israel. Now we'll close with this. Paul's statement here in Ephesians 2.13 that the recipients of this epistle, who he identifies as Gentile Christians, were brought near by the blood of Christ and because of their faith in him and justification and their union identification with him is alluding to Isaiah 57 verse 19. It says, I am the one who gives them reason to celebrate. Complete prosperity is available both to those who are far away and those who are nearby, says the Lord, and I will heal them. So Bob Utley, a commentator on Ephesians, he has the following comment about this near uh, being far away, us Gentiles, and being brought near uh, through the blood of Christ. Bob Utley writes, has the following thing. He says this, this same concept, and I'm quoting from him, the same concept is repeated in verse 17, where Isaiah 57, 19 is quoted. In Isaiah, this text refers to Jewish exiles, but here in Ephesians, it refers to Gentiles. And this is one example of Paul's typological use of Old Testament passages. The New Testament apostles have universalized the Old Testament hope. As the exiled Jews were far apart from God, so too the Gentiles were alienated from God, end of quote. And then lastly, Daryl Bark, uh, he says, a professor from Dallas Theological Seminary, he says the following, the reference to nearness does not mean proximity, but entrance, as verses 18 through 22 make clear. The argument is like that of Isaiah 57, 19, although there it is, there, it is likely about Jews, whether near or in the diaspora, and it might include nations alluded to in Isaiah 55, 5 and 56, verses 6 to 8. Bach says, the idea of being near also came to be used of proselyte discussion in Judaism. Paul is saying that alienation and estrangement are gone, not only between God and these groups, but between these peoples as well. What Christ did changed the Gentiles' contact with God and also their relationship to the Jews. What a great passage. So the gospel solves the problem of unregenerate sinners with God and with unregenerate sinners with each other. 
And so the gospel changes everything, you know. And this is a great thing. And this is the message that we've been given as Christians and as pastors and evangelists to get the message out to uh, the people in our lives. And also, more, and also, before you start talking to people about it, you know, let them see it. Let Model the gospel for them and all the implications, you know, that, that go with it. And, uh, you know, when living the spiritual life, that's the greatest thing. And then people see uh, the benefit of what you're doing and, and, and the, the joy and the happiness that you have and, you know, how problems that you, that most people can't solve, we're able to solve because of the gospel. And uh, so this and problems with the races, the sexes, whatever it is, uh, we, we can handle it through the practice of the command to love one another. As Jesus taught us in John 13, 34 and 15, 12, which actually manifests the fact that of all these, uh, all the things that we've learned about with our justification through faith in Christ and our union identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit, when we practice the command to love one another, we're bringing out, we're, we're manifesting the implications of our union identification with Christ and our being declared justified through faith in him. So this is a great, great uh, message for our country and our church here in America and around the world and everybody around the world, of course. And uh, so uh, we'll uh, pick this up on Saturday, this Saturday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time as we finish off in verse 13, this great passage in Ephesians 2.13. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray this message and this lesson be a great blessing to your people and the body of Christ, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. So we thank you and praise you, Father, for the things you've been teaching us through the Spirit. I pray the Spirit would do a mighty work to all of us. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.